Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk radio show. Here's a quick announcement. Our August Heart-Centered and Passion-Driven Inspirations for Better Living digital magazine designed to help moms build a better future for themselves, their families, and loved ones is currently available at www.inspirationsforbetterliving.com. The magazine offers inspirational stories from our dedicated experts to help you navigate your current situation with confidence because you are the designer of your journey as the COO, if not the CEO, of your family. So to preview our August edition, please go to www.inspirationsforbetterliving.com. As for our radio show this morning, my guest is Allison Common. After 15 years of practicing law, Allison Transition her practice into business consulting, business coaching, and life coaching. Today, Allison's clients range from owners of multi-million dollar companies to artists, actors, writers, and parents. She is also the author of The Gift of Maybe, which focuses on helping people reduce their stress and worry in uncertain times. Allison is a blogger for Psychology Today, The Huffington Post, and Mind Body Green. She has been featured on NPR and CBS. Oprah Magazine included the concept of maybe as an example of mind-blowing new definitions for everyday words and cited it in their new and improved feature, Directory to Enlightenment. Allison's 10-Minute to Less Suffering podcast focuses on helping people alleviate daily stress and worry. She is also the coach on call for the New York Metropolitan Area's podcast, AM970, The Answer. Allison currently serves as the CFO of Motherhood Center of New York. In her latest book, A Year Without Men, a 12-point guide to inspire and empower women, Allison uses events of a harrowing year in her personal and professional life to offer simple, practical tools to help women Look within to find their values, morals, passion, and work on their skills. Allison and I will be having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and her inspiring and empowering book, A Year Without Man. Good morning, Allison. Happy summer and welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me today. Wonderful. It is a pleasure to have you with me this morning. By the way, listeners, Allison is one of our featured experts. She is in the bubble of quiet confidence section of our August Inspirations for Better Living digital magazine. So please go to www.inspirationsforbetterliving.com to read her inspiring and empowering story. Allison, A Year Without Man is a very insightful read. Funny thing about it, I feel like it's not necessarily just for women. (laughs) It applies to men as well. We all have our own journey, so to speak. So congratulations for its release. Oh, thank you so much. I'm I'm really very proud of the book and looking forward to see what, what happens with it. Wonderful. So let us start by getting to know you a little bit better. Please give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment. A quick? A qu- my entire life quickly. Um, well, we do have the whole life. hour, though, by the way. <laughs> um well, I did have, you know, a, a very lovely upbringing, uh, a very stable family, but a family of warriors, uh, uh, mm-hmm. full of anxiety, full of projections of what's going to happen next, waiting for the other shoe to drop. And I think that was the dominant theme of my childhood. There was a lot of love, which is so beautiful and amazing and, and very stabilizing, but at the same time, this fear of what will happen next. And in fact, I always say I was addicted to certainty. I, I became addicted probably at a very young age. And so if mm-hmm. I didn't know what was going to happen next in my life, I projected things were going to be bad or they weren't going to work out. And I think that was the theme of, of most of my childhood, love and fear, uh, love mm-hmm. and worry. And, you know, as I got older, um, I tried to manage all these fears. So I would write stories in my mind about what I would need to do to get certainty in my life, what I would need to do to alleviate the worry or stress. So I wasn't thinking about meditating or doing yoga or eating broccoli. I I was thinking about, okay, 
I'm going to do something in the outside world to make me feel better. And the major story was I'm going to marry this great guy and I'm going to become a lawyer and get a great job and then my life will be set and certain. And I did marry the guy and I did get the law degree. And I remember actually walking to work my first day at this large law firm as a lawyer. And I was like, oh, my God, I've arrived. And then day two, uh, I was sitting in my office and I found out they were firing half the first year. And, and I was a first year. Uh, first year lawyer, and they didn't end up firing me, but it didn't matter. I think that moment, my life kind of blew up in a way because I realized that I was never going to attain certainty. So this game mm-hmm. I was playing kind of just blew up, and I recognized the fact that I had to make peace with the unknown, and that became the new part of my journey. And um, so for me, it's all about love and and not worrying, and this idea of how to make friends with uncertainty and the unknown and I think that was what it all looked like I've been very blessed but at the same time you know when you're looking for the outside world to make you feel better and you're looking for the outside world to give you stability um, you're always going to end up in the short end of the stick and that that was really my experience until I had this this transformation very very interesting you seem to be a very strong individual by nature even at a very young age right because to study to be a lawyer requires planning. So what drew you to that sort of career pursuit in a way? Because you had your laser sharp focus on what you want to do. I think it was my sense of justice, my sense of wanting the world to be a better place. And I think I had that deep within me from a young age. So I didn't feel good. I was very insecure. Mm -hmm. But it gave my life meaning. And I think many people understand that idea that meaning sometimes will thrust you forward even when you have self-doubt and even when you're stressed and even when you're worried because it's like a life purpose. And for me, that idea of equity, equality, justice was what I thought the law would be. And and it was so interesting is that that really wasn't my experience of the law. Mm-hmm. Um, I found there was a lot of conflict, a lot of confrontation. And I also used to feel that I never quite pushed the world forward. It would be like, you know, I would solve a legal issue for the client and then the client would come back three days later with just another issue and and sometimes not an awareness or an awakening. So um, then that's when I I went into business consulting uh, with Mm -hmm. the same kind of idea. And then as I, you know, kept having more and more awarenesses and awakening, I realized that through life strategy or being a life coach or combining coaching and consulting together, that's when I would have the greatest impact. But to me, it's always been about meaning and, and justice. And I think that's what thrusts me forward. Very, very interesting. How did the idea for A Year Without Men come about? Well, it wasn't something that I ever imagined I would write a, a book about this. And what's so interesting, <laughs> if you would have called me on June 29th, 2018, I would have told you that I was living a very blessed life. I was very happy with what was going on. I had written that great, a great book, The Gift of Maybe. I had really dealt with so much uncertainty in my life. I was feeling resilient. I was feeling strong. Uh, my daughters were both doing well. And I thought I was in a, a very committed marriage with my best friend. And on, mm-hmm. on June 30th, 2018, uh, my ex-husband-to-be came home to tell me he was leaving me, that he wanted to date other women, that we could still have vacations together and family holidays. And then he started to go into detail about his new life and the women, and my life just fell apart. That was the structure of my life, my family. Um, Just everything was about our relationship. And when that fell apart, Everything fell apart within a two-week period. My biggest client of 25 years, who was a very um, one of the biggest companies in the self-improvement industry, was selling, and he stopped speaking to me. And I had no other male clients, and I had mainly had a lot of male clients for for most of my uh, my practice, whether it was law consulting. Mm-hmm. And then within that two-week period, uh, an all-female company that I was consulting for the the woman woman the motherhood center, excuse me. Uh, they, they're a day hospital for women with postpartum depression. They asked me to be their CFO. And like I said, they're an all-woman company and they treat only women. So within a two-week period, my life just flipped upside down and I was devastated and I was distraught and most of the men in my life were gone. It, it happened 
within such a short period of time um, that I really had this year without men where I had many realizations about myself as a woman and the places that I hid, the places I didn't feel valuable. And at the same time, I was supported by women. I was only working with women. And so it was a it was a very difficult year filled with pain, but at the same time, it was a year filled with epiphanies and awarenesses, and I built a lot of faith and resilience and strength from, from this experience, and that's where the title comes from. It's so interesting that a lot of people, you know, think that that's what the book is about, promoting um, mm-hmm. no men in, in one's life. It was just that's how my experience <laughs> went, but the, the book is not anti-man, it's not against men. <laughs> and like you said in the beginning, it, it's an interesting read because it's female-centered, so Right. A man could read it and understand the female experience. And then if you take away that piece of it, it's, it's also a self-improvement book where there are 12 beautiful uh, points in there that, that could help anyone. But it's definitely female-centered. And mm-hmm. my awarenesses did come from when that, that male presence in my life was gone because that was such a big part of my life. And I think that many women, we give up a lot in our lives mm-hmm. and sometimes we don't kind of center on who we truly are and we lose our authentic voice. So I think it seemed in a lot of ways, like I was out in the world, truly me. But after this, you know, I guess maybe we just keep elevating. So maybe I was me then and and I'm more me now. I I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Beautifully put. It is true. Self-awareness is gender neutral, by the way. So that's why when you look at the book and the content, the essence of it is beautifully written and it's an expression of oneself because we go through that process like, what the heck just happened here? (laughs) So when you look at that, it's gender neutral, so to speak. One of the interesting things is that you were on my show back in 2015, February of 2015. As a matter of fact, we talked about the gift of maybe, which was an excellent, excellent book. Did your previous book, help you during the journey of rediscovering yourself? I think the gift of maybe was probably the most important part of my journey. And honestly, I don't know what would have happened to me if I didn't have a a good relationship with uncertainty. And in fact, a couple of days after my husband told me he was leaving me, Mm -hmm. I was so distraught and I, I keep the gift of maybe by my bedside. And, um, I was so messed up that I was crying. I couldn't sleep. And I took the book into the bathroom and I started to read it. And on the page six, I listed my biggest fears in the book. And Mm -hmm. one of my biggest fears I listed was, would my husband always love me? And quite honestly, I don't remember thinking that. I don't remember feeling that. I don't remember how it even got in the book. But that moment that I saw that in there, it was in the gift of maybe, maybe is all about, finding hope and possibility in the unknown. It is all about when you, when you feel you're doomed and you're, and gloom is upon you and things <laughs> can't work out that there's this other place of uncertainty. If you want your life to change, it has to happen. And then the, in the unknown, and maybe it's this place that always brings me there. And even though in that moment I couldn't really feel it, I was so heartbroken in <laughs> my mind. I remember thinking to myself, Oh, if, this book says everyone has maybe than I have maybe. And it really carried me. It carried me because I was able in that moment to write my biggest fear down. What was my fear? My fear was my husband was actually going to leave me because we were going to mm-hmm. go into counseling. My fear was my life would never be the same. I wouldn't be able to survive it. And I actually laid there on the floor and I said, are your fears absolutely true? And the beauty mm-hmm. of life is, yes, everything is uncertain, but your fears are uncertain true. Uh, your, your fears are uncertain as well. So you can't mm-hmm. know if they're true. And then I started mm-hmm. to write maybe statements down. Maybe I could survive this. Maybe mm-hmm. my thoughts are not true. Maybe we'll stay together. Maybe if he leaves, I'll find a way to be. Maybe I have no idea what's going to happen next, but my life still has hope because I know that I don't know. And not knowing for me has always been the beginning of something new. And in that moment, I, I kept catching myself. And through the process of the year, the fact that I knew uncertainty was my best friend, it held me. And that mantra, maybe everything could still be okay. Maybe it could get better. And it, it sounds like such a simple word, but maybe just reminds us that your fear mm-hmm. is not certain, your worry is not certain, your stress is not certain. So maybe there's something else. So, yes, 
the gift of maybe was my saving grace. It always is. And I'm so thankful for that book. And I'm so thankful for that line in the book because it really made all the difference for me. Wonderful, wonderful. In hearing you expressing yourself during that period of introspection and everything else and planning, I guess, in some ways, right? The thing that come up to me is that, and of course, having gone through your book, this is a male metaphor. <laughs> you're in the ring and you get knocked out and here you have the referee counting, right? One, two, three, four, the crowd's cheering outside obviously, right, for you to get up, but then you are making that mental analysis. Do I need to get up or the party is over? That's what I'm getting. You know, it's so funny. If we're going to do the metaphor, I think that (laughs) I probably lost a lot of rounds. (laughs) (laughs) But you didn't lose the bout. You see, that's the whole idea. You know, it's like you get knocked out. (laughs) Yeah, at some point, at some point, you know, I crawled. Maybe I crawled to the rope. (laughs) <laughs> right, right, and right, right. Uh, called on, called you know, onto the audience for some help, and I, right. I don't know. It was, I guess, in the in the final outcome, I'd say that I was able to stand back up, but mm-hmm. it was you know my internal world that that allowed me to, and and, and as well, I think it's important that um, people have external support as well. So it sure. was both. I I was very blessed, and and part of the reason I wrote this book is. So many miraculous things happened to me, even when I thought I thought I was dying. I didn't think I was going to make it mm-hmm. several times. And I'm so devastated and heartbroken. But so many miracles happened in my life, and I was so supported. I said to myself, how do women get through an experience like this? Or how do mm-hmm. women get through experiences where they lose their job or they can't go to school or they're heartbroken or I just thought of all the things that are against women in in so many ways. And Mm -hmm. that was the inspiration that the fact that I was able to get up, that I was able to stand up, what helped me stand up. And that's what the book is about. You know, how do we stand up for what's meaningful in our lives? How do we value ourselves more? How do we, you know, kind of quiet that self-doubt and really go out into the world with our authentic voice? Because women are not always welcome. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. in the corporate America, we're not always welcome in politics. Our voice is not always heard. And so sometimes it takes a lot of resilience within to keep getting up and keep, you know, trying to achieve the things that we want. And I really think the book um, could lead people on a, on a beautiful journey to, to do just that. Very, very interesting. Chapter three of your book talks about just because someone say it doesn't make it true. Can you tell us how you process that statement. Well, that, you know, out of all the lessons that I learned, uh, I think during the year, that that was one of the biggest. When my husband left, um, he told me he left me because I was selfish. And, mm-hmm. you know, being an empath, being sensitive, it was, it was almost like one of the worst things, you know, someone could say that someone like me and, and to many people, right? It's just we put right. ourselves on on the, you know, the work that we do in the world and, mm-hmm. and our, having an open heart. And I, I couldn't sleep for weeks. And mm-hmm. finally, I, I, you know, I got to this point where I had to make a choice. Either I was going to believe what he said, right, or I was going to say just because someone says it doesn't make it true. And, and, you know, as I kind of embraced that, I realized that in my life, you know, especially as women, because we're given so many messages. I mean, if you look at Women today, I mean, we've been graduating college at the same rate as men since at least 1991, yet you look at, you know, the S&P 500 and only 5% of the CEOs are women and only 20% of the board members are women. And men make more and men are promoted more often. So after a while, you kind of look at yourself and you say, there must be something wrong with me because mm-hmm. I have all the same abilities and all the same degrees. Why are they doing better? And and so we start to doubt ourselves. We start to doubt our voices. And so this idea that just because someone says it doesn't mean it's true, it sounds, again, very basic. But when I think about that, it reminds me to go back to me, go back to my truth, go back to my voice, you know, quiet all the noise on the outside world and really see what I need to do, what I need to say, and where I need to go. And, of course, it has to be balanced because sometimes people give us great advice. Sometimes men give me great advice. Sometimes women give me great advice. Mm-hmm. But I always have to go back to me. And I think that when you start to master that, 
um, you start to have a stronger voice in the world. And sometimes it's the simplest mantra in the world that brings you back to your center and, and gives you the ability to go out into the world and, and do what you need to do. Very true. So true. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio, our podcast, available on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, TuneIn Radio, Mixcloud, Podchaser, Listen Notes, and Hop Hopper. Here's a quick reminder to check out our August edition of our Heart Center and Passion Driven Inspirations for Better Living digital magazine at www.inspirationsforbetterliving.com. I'm your host, Johnny Tan, and my guest for this morning is Ellison Common. After 15 years of practicing law, Ellison transitioned her practice into business consulting, business coaching, and life coaching. She's also the author of The Gift of Maybe, which focuses on helping people reduce their stress and worry in uncertain times. Allison is a blogger for Psychology Today, The Huffington Post, and Mind Body Green. She has been featured on NPR and CBS. Oprah Magazine includes the concept of maybe as an example of mind-blowing new definitions for everyday words and cited it in their new and improved feature, Dictionary to Enlightenment. Ellison's 10 Minutes to Less Suffering podcast focuses on helping people alleviate daily stress and worries. She's also the coach on call for the New York Times Metropolitan Area's podcast, AM 970, The Answer. Ellison currently serves as the CFO of the Motherhood Center of New York. She is also our featured expert for the Bubble of Quiet Confidence section in our August Inspirations for Better Living digital magazine. So please check her out and read her inspiring story. Elsa and I are having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and her inspiring and empowering book, A Year Without Man. Elson, one of the things that you talk in the book is about beauty. So how does believing in your beauty help you in your journey? Well, I think when um, my husband left me, Mm-hmm. You know, that was something that really jumped out at me. Um, he decided to be with a woman that's 20 years, more than 20 years younger than me. And <laughs> mm-hmm. I remember when he left, he said to me, it has nothing to do with how desirable you are. And it was mm-hmm. just such a devastating moment. And I remember I went to this holistic spa because I'm very into organics and I was going to, mm-hmm. you know, inflict, you know, holistic revenge and, and go get... Um, you know, a facial or whatever. And I remember I went to this spa, it's called Pratima Spa, and I met the owner. And the minute I met her, I thought she was going to give me a consultation on my skin. And instead, mm-hmm. you know, she talked to me about forgiveness and, and being an open heart and, and moving forward with gratitude. And then she also gave me this book of hers called Absolute Beauty. And in it, there was a definition of beauty. And the definition of beauty in the Webster's Dictionary is that which gives, and I remember I kept reading it again, Beauty is what gives pleasure to my senses. And mm-hmm. I think for my entire life, I spent so much money and so much energy and feeling bad about myself about trying to conform to looking a way that society said I should look for me to feel better about myself, for me to be more successful. And, you know, you see it on social media, mm-hmm. you see it on mm-hmm. TV, you see it in, in the office, you see it everywhere, how women are so judged on their looks so much more than men. And when I saw this definition, I was actually able to flip this. And I started to be able to view beauty as for what's giving me pleasure instead of what the outside world is telling me. And the first time I remember having the the first experience with it, I was outside and this woman was walking towards me and she was blonde Mm -hmm. and she was tan and she was young. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, my God, I was like, I'm alone and and I don't look like that. And how could I look like that? And who's going to love me if I don't look like that? And all of a sudden I stopped myself. And I thought about that definition of beauty, that which gives pleasure to my, my senses. And there was nothing wrong with this woman, but it didn't give me pleasure. It might have given my ex-husband to be pleasure, my brother pleasure, but not me. And, and then I started to look at the flowers and I started to look at the buildings. And I said, wow, I was like, that's what fills me up. And so with this idea, I've been able to kind of go back to me and figure out what's pleasurable for me in this lifetime. And sometimes that's helping another human being and sometimes it's looking at a flower or sometimes it's laughing but by expanding that definition I find I spend less time thinking about what the world thinks of me 
and I think more about myself and, and what my experience is and, and how deep it can be and how deep beauty really is. And so that was a huge thing for me. And, again, I think that women are constantly judged, put down, made to feel uncomfortable about their looks in practically, you know, every area mm-hmm. of our lives. And so when we can shift that and generate anything from the inside, generate that beauty from the inside, define it from the inside, I think we're going to be in a different place. And, you know, this is one of, it's so interesting. You asked me this. this is probably one of the chapters, one of the few chapters in my book, maybe the only chapter in my book where I have not really mastered that for me. It is a practice, but mm-hmm. I can walk into any room at this point and kind of stay more centered. I could check mm-hmm. in with myself and I could search what, what beauty means for me. And, and, and that's a big shift. And I, I hope it helps a lot of other women too, because it's a very disempowering topic when the outside world is, is judging us in a way that that's really beyond us. We can't even control it. That's true. Very, very true. Is that when you apply basically the concept of instead of reacting, let's respond? Um, you know, I, I think that, topic, you know, that's that's a really big topic in the book about mm-hmm. how, I mean, most of us know that when we react to something, right, it, it's mm-hmm. not always the best for us. Sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, we might get momentary satisfaction when we react. Um, but in the long term, we might say something that we end up regretting. Um, and also, it, it's just not the best way way to communicate often there, you know, when we're more responsive, we get to pause and ask ourselves, you know, how will what I say serve me? How will my actions serve me? How, what I'm about to say is going to move me forward. You know, and, and in business, it's one of the most important aspects of business is to respond, not react. And I think women mm-hmm. in the business world, you know, we're often, you know, there's no real place always to put our power. We're too, we're too mean. We're too nice. We're too bitchy. <laughs> we're too this. We're too that. And so, because we're being judged so harshly, I think that when we're we go into the business world in a more responsive mode, we're just going to get further. I mean, it goes for anyone in business, right? And you know, it's so interesting in the book. I also write that I, I actually find men a little more emotional in business than women because if you look at anger, you look at resentment. You look at those, all those other emotions which are more acceptable mm-hmm. in the corporate world. For me, that that's extremely emotional. And I've never broken up a fist fight of two women in an office. <laughs> but I, for a man, I've done it several times. So, you know, it, again, it, it's not uh, against men at all. But I find that when anybody is more responsive and less reactive in the workplace, they'll be more successful. And because women are judged so harshly in the workplace, I mm-hmm. think taking that space between stimulus and response um, I think we have more freedom. I think we're going to have better results. And I think we're going to take things less personal, stay more focused, mm-hmm. and probably be one of the first people in the room to have a solution. So it is one of the most important things in the business world is to kind of get that space. And the only way you get that space is being aware of your reactions, being able to ask yourself, you know, how will my reactions serve me at this point and is there a better response for me to get where i need to go so true very very true that year-long journey did you ever lose faith in trusting men that's a great question i went out to dinner one night with a woman that i didn't know that well and she was sitting there and she goes she said to me you know your husband cheated on you nobody would leave without having someone in in their back pocket and she didn't know my husband and and she didn't know anything about my life and I remember I, I never thought that was a possibility. I never thought mm-hmm. about not trusting him. I never thought about this issue before in my life. And again, you know, such a long time after she said that to me, I was kind of losing my mind. How would I trust anybody again? And how would right. I go back out into the world? And, and it, it started to get so crushing. And then all of a sudden, one night, again, most of my realizations happen at 3 o'clock in the morning. It just flipped. <laughs> And I realized that it's about trusting myself and trusting Mm -hmm. that I'll be okay no matter what. And I also incorporated maybe as well, because sometimes, you know, I'm like, I, you know, I, I trust that I'll be okay. Maybe I'll be okay. Whatever would get me over that, that hump and that shift. And it's funny. I used to see people in business do that all the time. 
They would mm-hmm. always make it about the other person. They would make it about, you know, you can't trust anyone in business. You can't trust your employees. You can't do this. You can't do that. And what they would do is they would destroy relationships. They mm-hmm. would over-negotiate a contract. They wouldn't give their employees freedom to grow, to be creative. And I realized over time that had these many of these people that, that I worked for, had they trusted themselves more, they would have realized, look, it's the nature of business. Most things will work out. There'll be some broken contracts. There'll be great employees. There'll be a couple of bad ones. But when you trust that you'll be okay no matter what, you're not worried mm-hmm. about that. You're, you're going to take more risks. You're going to move forward in a much more expansive way because you're going to know that whatever happens, you can handle it. And for me, that's, again, one of the biggest things I learned during the year that I will be okay. I will figure it out. I trust myself. And then I'm willing to, then you're going to be willing to go into any situation because you know if you get hurt, if you don't get hurt, you'll be okay. And so for me, I'm not really thinking about trusting men or not trusting men. I'm thinking about trusting me. And, um, mm-hmm. and anyone that's able to do that, they're going to be a better business person. They're going to be much more successful. And I also think they're going to be willing to take more risks in their lives to, to benefit them, to achieve their dreams. Because if we always make it about everyone else, we're going to become smaller in the world. We're going to be smaller within ourselves. And it's a very expansive way to live to know that you can handle what comes your way and that, and you have what it takes. And for me, that's, that was amazing. But also I, sometimes I did need to use maybe statements to kind of get me there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. If I, you know, if I got a little wobbly. That's very good though, because that's the whole idea of, are you reacting or are you responding? When you're responding, you're in control. When you are reacting, then you have no control of the situation at all. Absolutely. And then, and if you trust, that you'll be okay no matter what. You're right. That that gives you the space because sometimes our reactions are based on desperation. Our mm-hmm. reactions are based on, I need this person to save me. Our reactions are based on, I need this client not to leave. And when we believe that someone has something that if we don't have, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to burn and, and just not be able to move forward. That's when we become overly emotional and that's when we can't control ourselves. But when you trust you'll be okay no matter what, I mean, that's a great point. It gives you the space. It gives you the space mm-hmm. to say, okay, you know, I can, I can live without this person. I can live without this agreement. I can live without this contract, even though I still want it to happen. So what response will serve me best in this moment? Um, and you know that, yeah, that you can handle and you have what it takes to, to live each day and, and do your best. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I think they're very related. Very interesting. When is showing emotions healthy and when it is not? Again, great question. I remember I was at the Motherhood Center for a couple of months. And, of course, you know, it's an all-woman company. And I've Mm -hmm. worked with so many men over the years and so many different companies and really had a lot of great experiences, some not so great. And I'm sitting there at the meeting, and this woman starts to cry. And nobody cared. She was crying, Mm -hmm. and then she was still talking, and she was giving her presentation. And no one cared she cried. And after the meeting, I was really thinking about, like, wow, like, what just happened in that meeting? And it was the fact that she was not putting her emotion on someone else. And I think that's where it gets tricky. You know, you could be emotional, but if you're putting bad behavior on someone else, especially in the workplace or even in your personal life, that's when it starts to get a little twisted, and that's when harm starts to happen. But her tears hurt nobody, and it's so funny because most of my career – I was taught mm-hmm. to believe that tears sink ships in corporate America, and they don't. <laughs> I have nothing, you know, I don't care if someone, you know, if someone wants to tell me they're stressed or they're worried, as long as they're not putting it on me, they're not snapping at me, they're not angry right. at me, they're not, you know, ruining my day, they're not making my life harder because of their experience, then there's nothing wrong with it. And I think that's where corporate America has gone wrong. It's like it's asking often people to be robots and, and not be human and not be connected and to perform a certain duty every day. And I think that's what's so interesting about the pandemic because the pandemic took a lot of that away. I mean, you know, I, I'm on Zoom calls and especially mm-hmm. because we're an all-women company, you know, kids were home, there are kids running into the room, people's <laughs> fire alarms are going off. And you kind of start to see like people's reactions and people's humanity and, and people's struggles. And there's nothing wrong with that. And where we get in trouble is when we snap at the person we're working with because we're having a bad day or we treat someone poorly or we're short with somebody. So, so really it's not 
the emotion, it's the behavior. And mm-hmm. I actually, you know, it's so funny. There are a lot of people in corporate America that would say it's, you have to control behaviors. But, you know, we're asking people to not say how they feel, to not express themselves, and at the same time we're asking them to act in an appropriate manner. And I, I think it's, it's not a successful model. I think mm-hmm. we have to allow for the expression of who people are and how they're feeling, but at the same time, you know, have respect for their colleagues, have respect for their boss, you know, have that line. So I don't have issues with emotions. I just have issues with behaviors. And I think this could be one of the biggest shifts in corporate America, you know, for more job satisfaction, for more collaboration, for more creativity to allow people to be more real and at the same time cultivate, you know, community and respect for for one another. I totally agree because the social emotional needs are a little bit different. And again, to lead people, you got to be able to allow them to be who they are so that you need to know their strengths and weaknesses in all actuality. And having said that, there really no liability. Weaknesses are actually assets in people because that's, for lack of a better term, fail-safe switch, personal fail-safe switch, so to speak. But you cannot manage people. You can manage situation. And so what you're saying is very interesting. It's very true because then you can sort of manage the situation and there's certain protocols, there's certain frame. So how do we behave? And it's like if you're in the kitchen, what do you do? Certainly things that you can't do in the kitchen that you can do in the living room, per se. <laughs> yeah. So to say. No, no, that, that's, yeah, no, that you just really, that was very well said that you have to allow people to be who they are and, and manage situations. But, you know, we try to manage people's feelings or we try to make right. them not feel. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, too, and this, what's so interesting is that if you think about this concept, you know, it's good for men and for women. You know, we want everyone to be successful. We want people to want to collaborate. But when we shut people down, we make everybody the enemy. We make your coworker the enemy, the corporation the enemy, because we're all trying to pretend to be something other than we truly are. And so there, there's a lot of, of potential here for things to shift. And, and I think, you know, you get people who work harder. You get people who stay longer. And, and there's more work-life balance. There's more job satisfaction. There's so many things that are possible. So it's so interesting, the, the patriarchal paradigm, it, it really actually, I think, creates more havoc in the workplace than, than less. So I, mm-hmm. I think what you said is very true. Do you think, like, when we start considering that there's nothing wrong with us, it's a form of denial in some ways? Um. No, I, I think that for for women, I think mm-hmm. a lot of us, because like I said about where we are in society and how, you know, we're not as successful as our male car- counterparts mm-hmm. and a lot of companies and stuff, we, we start to doubt ourselves. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think the problem that a lot of women have is we think there is something wrong with us, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, so it, it, it's actually the, the opposite. I think that we don't value ourselves enough. Um, so I think, yeah, I think it's a fine line that in life you have to be willing to look at, you know, your responsibility. Like even after my marriage ended, I had to look at the role I played, you know, even though I didn't leave and I wanted to work on it, I wouldn't have been able to grow if I didn't look at the pieces where, you know, I maybe fell short. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't feel like I'm responsible for the, for the end and how it ended, but at the same time, you know, there are two people in a relationship. We, we need to be responsible. So, yeah, I think there's an element that we need to be responsible in this lifetime. But thinking there's nothing wrong with us, it, it's just this basic thing that, you know, we have the value. It's about value. I, I think mm-hmm. what used to happen in my life is that when something bad would happen or I would lose something or not get something, it wouldn't just be like, oh, I didn't get that. It would be like there's something wrong with me. I'm not valuable. Everything would be connected to my value. And I think a lot of women do that. And instead, what, when you start to see the outside world as just outer events and just experiences, and you realize there's nothing wrong with you, it's more of a basic thing. It's not that you don't do things wrong. It's that regardless of what happens, you are valuable. And that's really the point of that idea, that if you lose the job, you're still valuable. If your husband leaves you, you're still valuable. And you have enough within you. And you have enough light, enough grace, and enough beauty to go out the next day and try it. Very true. So true. You mentioned about 
basically, in a nutshell, to me, there are only two separate but equal forces that govern all our decision-making, love or fear, in our professional life as well as our personal life. How do we prepare for the unexpected then? Yeah, and, and I think what's so interesting is I think the our relationship with uncertainty dictates mm-hmm. mostly every decision that we make in life. I think it determines who we're willing to be in a relationship with, the job we're willing to get, um, the occupation we're going to pursue, the hobbies we have. I think we're always managing our fear. And, and what's so interesting is that when we're always managing our fear, our authenticity, our love, all those things that are so meaningful to us cannot be front and center because certainty becomes more important. We don't do it on purpose. We don't wake up in the morning and say, oh, I'm going to choose certainty over love. I'm going to choose certainty over my life's path. It just happens because deep down we're so worried we're not going to be okay. And and these worries happen too because we're attached to things. We love our children. We, you know, want to keep our home. So it's a, it's a really difficult situation for for so many people and and for me this relationship with uncertainty has has been you know the thing that almost knocked me out so many times but also on the other side when i have a good relationship with uncertainty with uncertainty it gives me freedom and it allows me not to live in fear and and just to remind people i know it's been a long time since I've been on your show, but for me, that pivotal moment was when I heard that story about the farmer and, you know, he has a horse and his horse runs away and his neighbor comes by and says, you have, you have the worst luck. And the farmer says, maybe, but the next day his Mm -hmm. horse comes back with five mares and the neighbor comes to the (laughs) farmer and says, you have the best luck. And the farmer says, maybe, but the next day the farmer's son is on the horse. He falls off and breaks his leg. And the neighbor comes by to the farmer and says, you have the worst luck. And the farmer says, maybe. But then the next day, the army comes to take his son to war, but they can't take him because his leg is broken. And the neighbor mm-hmm. comes by to the farmer and says, you have the best luck. And the farmer says, maybe. And, and this is a Taoist story. And in, in Taoist tradition, the story is trying to tell us that things are neither good or bad. But for me, probably because I'm from the West, the West and I'm a hope junkie, I always want to look for hope, that mm-hmm. story kind of changed my life because I realized that when something bad happened in my life, when the uncertainty came, I couldn't bear it. And I couldn't imagine things getting better. And I lived with stress. I lived with worry until something else happened. And it's just a horrible way to live. And then I started to play with this idea of maybe I started to question my fears. And that's, you know, about fear and love. When you realize that your fear is not absolute, when you realize your fear is uncertain, other things could happen. And so what maybe does it just reminds me that there's more that, that's possible. Maybe my fear is not true. Maybe something else is possible. Maybe I'm still okay. And what it does is it allows me to hang out in uncertainty. It allows me to have faith because we don't have faith because we're afraid we're not okay. So we can't handle the unknown. And most interestingly, it also brings me back to love because when I dilute my fear, I'm in a more open-hearted place. I'm not afraid to live. I'm not afraid to get close to people. I'm not afraid to get close to who I truly am. So for me, your relationship with uncertainty also dictates whether you live in fear or whether you live in love and and the kind of life you're going to live. And, and again and again, this idea of maybe just kind of always puts me back on the playing field. And, and that's one of the biggest lessons I, I learned also that the most important thing is not to get off the playing field. Like it would have mm-hmm. been so easy for me to hide under my bed. And, and we all know those moments when, when someone dies, we lose a job. We just, the wind is just knocked out of us. And how do we stay on the playing field? How do we keep getting back out there and saying, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm ready again. I'm going to try again. Even though I lost that job, I'm going to try to get a, another great one, or I'm going to try to switch my career. I'm going to try to meet someone new. And so um, staying on the playing field and these ideas of how we relate to uncertainty you know, kind of silent, you know, silently kind of shifting our fear. All these things are, are so important to, to living, I think, an abundant life. So true. That's very, very true. You're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio, our podcast, available on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Teachers Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, TuneIn Radio, MixCloud, Podchaser, Listen Notes, and Hop Hopper. Here's a quick reminder to check out our August edition of 
our heart-centered and passion-driven Inspirations for Better Living digital magazine at www.inspirationsforbetterliving.com. My guest for this morning is Alison Common. Alison and I are having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and her inspiring and empowering book, A Year Without Men. I'm your host, Johnny Tan. Alison, do expectations steal our happiness and our ability to move forward in some ways? Another great question. Um, yes, expectations steal our happiness, and expectations mm-hmm. block us from moving forward. And I think that is one of the biggest lessons that I learned. And it's funny, I used to teach people about expectations. Like I would have a business owner come to me and say, my business only made $25,000 or $50,000 this year. I expected it to make 200000 and then their view of the business was negative, and it's not working out, and, and how do I move forward? But they don't realize that 25000 or 50000 could be a great beginning. You know, what do we need to look at? Do we need to look at your finances? Do we need to look at your marketing? Do we need to look at your product? Sometimes life is going in, in the right, right direction. It just didn't happen the way that we thought. So mm-hmm. expectations and dreams are very different. Our dreams and our intentions are things we work for. But our expectation is the story that we tell for our lives. And if we're not careful, we're going to, like I said before, get off the playing field because we're going to say my life's not working out because it's not working out the way I expected. And as I sit here right now, I think that is the biggest thing that could thrust me forward or hold me back. I can tell the story that I expected to be married to this man my entire life. I expected for us to retire together and share our grandkids and have this life, but at this point, that's the story that suffocates mm-hmm. me, and and that's the, my expectation. And at some point, I, I got to this moment where I was like, if I keep telling the story that my life was supposed to be different, that this shouldn't happen, I'm not going to be able to live the life in front of me, and I'm not going to be able to create something new. And, you know, there are days I still grapple with it. There are days I still, I wake up, and I'm like, what happened? Did that really happen to me? <laughs> I mean, I wrote the book a while ago, you know, it's been three years and yet, you know, that story, because we have stories for our lives that, again, they make us feel safe, they make us feel secure, but at this point, my expectations are are what's going to stand between me suffering or me creating a new life, and I think it's such an important thing that we need to be aware of, you know, what story am I telling? Am I, am I bringing the past forward in a way that, that's harming me? My thoughts about what the past was supposed to give to my future and where I'm supposed to be in this moment. And when we could let those things go, then we really have a shot at a new beginning. And so that, I think, is one of the most important things that people need to, to work on when they're looking at their life and whether they're able to live in, in I think, a more blessed, grateful, open way. And expectations, they like I said, they suffocate us if we're not careful. Very, very interesting. That's very true. What was the most rewarding aspects of composing A Year Without Men when you look back? I think for me, the principles in the book were what sustained me. And I, you know, it's funny, you know, I, I read my own books, which I know maybe it's kind of a funny thing. <laughs> But you know, I always, you know, but I always say, beware of the people who write the book they need it the most, right? So right. I, I, I find that those the lessons in the book that was my life experience for that year, and I find it mm-hmm. so empowering and inspiring. I think writing the book also solidified the experience. You know, sometimes I think we'll have this epiphany and we'll have this realization, and we're like, oh my goodness, this this is life changing. And then six days later, we forget it because our habits and our tendencies are bigger than the epiphany or the realization. And I think writing the book really allowed me to to ground myself in the things that I've learned, to be able to share it and to talk about it and to make that my new habit and that my new tendency. So for me, the book was very healing because I, I, I was able to commit to it so deeply. These are what, this is what I believe in and this is what I live by. And at the same time, then, to be able to share it with other people and to allow people to have a similar experience. I mean, for me, every book is a hope. It's a hope mm-hmm. that there'll be something in it that'll inspire another human being to live with more happiness or joy and most of all peace. So for me, it's, it's a win-win because it helped me on my journey and allows me to stay true to what I believe in and, and 
true to who I really am. And then to be able to share that and help other people, um, it, it's really a miracle. I, I find this whole thing a miracle in my life. Fantastic. What would you like for the readers to gain from reading A Year Without Men? I would like, you know, people and especially women to to be able to look at where they are in their lives Mm -hmm. and look at the places that they hide because they don't think they have what it takes or they don't speak up because they don't feel valuable or they're not on their life path or they're feeling bad about themselves because how they look. My, My hope is that they'll become more aware of the places that they hide and the places that they're feeling sad or stressed or worried or not good enough. And this book will not only create an awareness, but also a path for every woman to feel empowered and inspired and to find the courage. And each book, you know, has this great exercise too, to kind of create new habits Mm -hmm. and new tendencies. And my hope is that this will help women have more courage and more resilience to live a more authentic life and get out into the world and, do what they want to do, have the career that they want, have the family that they want, live the life that they want. So so that's really my thoughts on that. Wonderful. So where can someone go to buy the book, get more information about you, and keep up with the latest happenings? Um, the book, A Year Without Men, as well as The Gift of Maybe, it's available at all major bookstores and online retailers. And I have this great website, alisoncarmen.com, which has a lot of blogs that I've written and has stuff about the book, but also I have this wonderful podcast called 10 Minutes to Less Suffering. And what's so great about the podcast, it's just 10 minutes. And and that's really just about, you know, how you can alleviate your stress and worry and, and live more peacefully. And it's on my website as well as iTunes and Spotify and all those other places that people have podcasts. Wonderful. During the process, this journey that you took, how did spirituality help you heal? I think that having a strong spiritual life was mm-hmm. really so important um, because I have a, a I believe in a, a source energy. I believe in a connection with other people on on higher levels, and I think my practices of meditation and yoga and, you know, maybe for me as a spiritual practice, mm-hmm. I think the commitment to, to love, um, I think it really held me. Um, and I think that it gave me strength and it gave me resilience. And it also gives me meaning to know that we're all connected on a higher level and there, there's more to this life sometimes than meets the eye. So I think that was, those are very important aspects that really carried me through this experience. Very interesting. Your book talks about letting go and let life in as well. So what's the best way to let go and let life in? Well, again, you know, that could be hard, right? Because there are things that we love in our lives that we don't want to let go of. We don't want to, Mm -hmm. sometimes we don't even want to let go of our fear and worry because we need things to be a certain way. And we're afraid if we let it go, then we're just letting go of the safety of our children or letting go of our job security because we're holding on a little looser we think we're going to lose the things that, that we love. And for me, it's it's always a practice between attachment and detachment. You know, am I looking for certainty? You know, am I clinging right now? Am I attached? What What's my fear? And there's this great uh, story in Mark Nepo's book, uh, I think it's The Great Awakening, where he talks about this man um, that wanted to paint his house, and he's carrying red paint and cloths and paintbrushes. And and at the same time, he's carrying stuff. He's trying to open the door to his home. And you can't have everything. You can't hold on and open the door at the same time. So the man falls back. There's red paint all over him. And I love that story because it just reminds me that, you know, I think I can hold on to everything and enter the moment new. But sometimes when you hold so much, you're not present. You're stressed. You're worried. You're not being nice to other people because you can't clear your mind. And so sometimes I just think of doorways. And every time mm-hmm. I pass through a door, I'm like, can I put something down right now? Even if it's simple, can I put down what happened this morning? Can I put down a problem I'm having to enter this moment new? And I think whatever method people could have to enter the moment new, the more peace we'll have. And I think the more open we're going to be to what's in front of us. And I think that's where creation really happens. You know, we create our future in the moment. So I think everyone has their own methods of letting go. But for me, 
I try to put down, you know, sometimes even the littlest thing is ruining our day. So mm-hmm. I just use doorways as this moment of awareness. Again, everything comes down to awareness. In this moment, is there something I could put down that so I can enter this, this moment new, enter this moment with more peace, more tranquility, more of an open heart to, to live my best life? Beautiful. How do you see the future of women in business and politics in the coming years? I feel really hopeful. I feel that women are at this point right now that, especially in the United States, that although I don't find there's equity for enough equity for women mm-hmm. in, in the workplace and so many things need to change, I think we have a lot of opportunity to do that. Um, but I think we have to the two things need to happen. I think corporate America needs to change. It needs to be more welcoming and deal with issues like childcare and deal with, you know, why more, more men, you know, have executive positions, but at the same time, we need to change internally. And I think that we can do that at this point. There's enough opportunity on the outside world that if we can cultivate strength and resilience and value ourselves, that things can really change. And it's unfair, you know, to put this on what, you know, on women at all, because, we should live in a society where all are equal and all are welcome, but that's not the case. And so I believe, though, it's, it's a time of great hope that as women's voices rise and as we kind of feel more confident and we kind of trust who we are, I think that we will make great headway in corporate America and starting new businesses. I think there'll be more women voices in politics, which we're seeing. I think we just have to, again, stay on the playing field and allow ourselves to be uncertain so we take the risks that are necessary to, you know, live the life that we want and create the world that we, we'd like to see. That's true. Very, very true. What is next for you? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, that's a great question. I, I find since the book came out that I, mm-hmm. I'm just, you know, it was like a mission to get the book out, you know, to share the story, to help people. And now I'm just really in this this open place. You know, I'm very proud mm-hmm. of my work at the Motherhood Center, you know, being the chief financial officer there and the fact that we, you know, save women's lives every day. I'm, I'm really happy about, you know, my work in the self-improvement industry and my podcast. And I'm, I'm just open. I'm open to what's going to happen next. And I, I think my priority right now is staying open and not getting lost in expectations allowing myself not to choose um, certainty over my best life and, mm-hmm. and to see what happens next. Um, you know, this has taught me the last three years that you can't know and, and knowing is, is not so great anyhow. And I, and I just want to live my best life. And, and what that means, I, I don't really know. Every day shows me <laughs> something new. Well, that's good. That's very good. So you're living in a present moment. That's what it's all about. <laughs> Yes, trying. I'm trying. (laughs) (laughs) As we close this hour, since our show is about people, family, and living life, would you like to share a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? I think the three most important things, I think, is acceptance. I think sometimes it's hard for us to get there, but accepting what's in front of us doesn't mean we're going to like it. But it, it's making peace with where we are because I always say you can't stop the rain, right? And so mm-hmm. accepting where you are in life um, and then trying to change it from that, that point forward, being grateful for what we have, I think, is always an p- important thing. And then our relationship with uncertainty. And, again, it's such a simple word, that idea of maybe, but allowing uncertainty to give you hope and let it breed possibilities and welcoming it in our lives so we can really – pursue our dreams and I think those are the those are the most important things acceptance gratitude and our relationship with uncertainty and incorporating maybe into your life those are the three things that have helped me the most fantastic Allison thank you for the great recipe for living and for spending this hour with me on from my mama's kitchen talk radio to all our listeners please join me next Tuesday morning August 10th my guest will be Jan Wad Jan is a dynamic healer executive coach and group facilitator She is also an accomplished writer and poet. Jan is the creator of the Spiritual Freedom Tapping Techniques. She is the author of 19 books, notably including the SFT Lexicon, Enlightenment Unveiled, and Emerging from the Mist. Jan and I will be having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and her latest book, The Spiritual Freedom Tapping Lexicon. 
For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to FromMyMama'sKitchenTalkRadio.com. Thank you for listening and have a blessed week. Elson, it's been a true pleasure. Thank you again and have a very blessed day. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. 